Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from the Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our sermon series, Start Spreading the News, where we discuss the importance of evangelism. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to week two of our series on evangelism, which we've affectionately titled Start Spreading the News. And it's a series, again, about evangelism. So last week we talked about what the gospel is. The gospel is truly good news. That's what the word gospel means. That's what it is. We believe then, in turn, that good news is, in fact, meant to be told. The word gospel, euangelion, it's not a Christian word, at least not in its origin. The, uh, the ancient Roman Empire, they would share the euangelion of the, empire, of the emperors, of Caesar. The good news of a victory in battle. And it was good news only so long, of course, as you were Roman, I guess, right? It was bad news for someone else, the, the army or the, the nation that was just conquered. It was, in fact, very bad news for them. But the good news of Jesus is different because he's a different kind of king altogether. He's, he's one that achieves victory not by killing, but by giving his own life. Not by lording it over his kingdom subjects, but instead by washing their feet and by serving them. And this kingdom that is at hand, which is the good news that John the Baptist shares in the beginning of Mark's gospel, this kingdom can be home for you. It can be a home for you. And so today we're asking the question, why share the gospel? And the answer is that that we're trying to bring people into a kingdom that can be a home for them. That could be a home for them, except for the fact that that they're lost. And so we're going to center the conversation this morning around these three points. Why share the gospel? First of all, because people are lost. Secondly, because Jesus cares deeply about the lost. And third of all, because Jesus has asked his people to join him in this rescue mission. We get to help lead people home. And so first, people are lost. In 1992, in 1992, a tragedy was narrowly avoided. You may have heard of this if you were around back then. When a child in the Midwestern United States was traveling with his family on vacation over the holidays, the holidays that we are about to celebrate together, due to a series of mix-ups with a crowded airport, he found himself on the wrong flight. Not only the wrong flight, but a wrong flight to one of the largest cities in the world. Through some negligence of the airport staff, he had boarded a plane without locating his parents and arrived to his dismay in New York City alone. Just a child in the world's largest city, fortunately armed with his parents' credit cards, his own savvy, and a Talkboy tape recorder. This is the plot of Home Alone 2. It's been too long since we've talked about Home Alone, hasn't it? We're really gearing up for Advent here. How many of you were sucked into that story like, wait, this happened? A few of you? Okay, good. I didn't know how I was going to really be able to deliver that with a straight face. But here's the thing. When you watch Home Alone 2, and hopefully you do, you don't think Kevin McAllister is bad, 
right? You don't think he's bad. You might think he's kind of a pest in general. You might think he shouldn't have pushed Buzz off those choir risers at the beginning, though I disagree, he had it coming. But you don't see him alone in New York and think, what an awful person. You don't see him running for his life, scared out of his mind and think, well, he has it coming. No, he's lost in New York. That's literally the subtitle of the movie. And here's the thing that is important. Lost is not a pejorative. Lost is not a pejorative. It's not judgmental to think people are lost. I've said this before. I'll say it again. At one point, there's this meme, I guess you could call it, floating around on the internet. And and it said something like, how do you reach the lost? Maybe begin by not referring to them as lost. And that's well-intentioned, I'm sure. And I, I wouldn't recommend you start your evangelism efforts by saying, listen here, you're clearly very lost, so let me enlighten you. But when, you say, when we say lost, we don't mean lost cause or someone we have lost hope for or hopefully not someone we have lost all patience with. We mean someone who doesn't know where they are and how to get to where they would most want to go. If you encountered someone in town here in, in Hartville, somebody from out of town, who couldn't find where they wanted to go, you wouldn't see that person as less than you. You wouldn't see that person as stupid. You wouldn't see that person certainly as evil, right? They just aren't sure where to go. And so we need to realize that people are, in fact, lost. If we only understand people to have a difference in opinion from us, we will never evangelize. We must understand that they are lost without Jesus. And in case you think that sounds arrogant, like we are the bearers of such great knowledge looking down on the lowly lost, you should first then maybe understand that you too were once lost. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church in a Christian family, if you went to Lake Center Christian School, did Awana, went to every VBS east of Green, you were lost. You were lost. You were lost until you came truly and honestly to a real faith in Jesus, not just an inherited one. And since you were lost, you cannot help but look at someone now in the place that you were in and just say, I get it. I understand. I once couldn't find my way either. This idea of being lost isn't one from my own verbiage, but that of Jesus. Let me read you this familiar story in Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said, Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay them back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Now let's observe a few things from this story. The crowd 
does not use the term lost in this story. And yet they hate Zacchaeus. They are likely Jews and they are mad. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is a traitor to the Jews. He works for Rome. He takes the people's taxes from the occupying forces of Rome for them. And then he takes some off the top so he can get paid too. They hate Zacchaeus and they call him a sinful man. They don't say lost, but they are the ones doing the judging here. And Jesus sees him and does what? He makes an invite. Really, the invite, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, but he in turn is inviting Zacchaeus into a relationship. And what does Zacchaeus do? He repents. He repents. He doesn't say he repents, right? He doesn't get on his knees and say the sinner's prayer, though no one kind of does in the Bible, but he instantly changes his mind. He instantly changes course. I'll give half of my stuff to the poor. I'll pay back four times what I've cheated people. This is the fruit of repentance. This is the fruit of a changed heart. And Jesus makes a pronouncement. Essentially, he says, I know y'all are judging Zacchaeus. I can hear you. I know you don't like him, but he is a son of Abraham. Or hear it this way. He has come back home. He is part of the family. He is in the kingdom. He is one of God's people. And then this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Do you see it? It's Jesus, the one who is most affirming of Zacchaeus in the story, who states that up to this point he was lost. Lost is not a pejorative. It's not an insult. It's just true. We, we are people who have wandered from the kingdom that is our true home and the God who is our true father. And we are lost until we are found in Christ like Zacchaeus was that day. Until you believe that people are lost without Christ, you will never evangelize. If you believe that people who have not trusted Christ, just have a different opinion than you. You'll never evangelize. Until you remember that you were once lost without Christ, but now have been found in him, all because someone shared the gospel, you will never share it yourself. The second reason we share the gospel is because not only are people lost, but because Jesus cares deeply about the lost. And if we love Jesus, we should care what Jesus cares about. Jesus treasures the lost, and that is made clear all over the Gospels. But I'm going to point us specifically to Luke 15 now, where Jesus tells three stories to drive home the point that he treasures the lost. Verses 1 through 7 first. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in an open field to go after the one, the lost one, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. 
Jesus is prompted to tell these three stories we're going to talk about, by the way, by religious people complaining about Jesus eating with and thus identifying with sinners. They were too good for the lost, they believed. But Jesus was not. So if you find yourself thinking you're too good for the lost, or maybe too good for certain types of lost people, or the people you deem to be the most lost, you are putting yourself at odds with Jesus in his way. Now the story tells about Jesus' heart for the lost. It tells us about it. What person among you, if you have a hundred sheep, which sounds like a whole lot of smelly, awful work, and they lose one, when one finds a hole in the fence or gets out, whatever sheep do, I imagine their stubby legs can't jump over a fence. Which, which one of you, when that happens, won't go get that sheep? You're doing your sheep roll call that uh, you do every so often, and you're like, wait, where's Otis? Otis seems like a sheep name. And, and when that happens, when you're in that situation, what would any sensible shepherd do? Leave the 99 in an open field and go after the one. Jesus goes after the one. Jesus is that shepherd always running after the lost. He chased you down when you had wandered off, if you're his today. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, he is pursuing you right now. Now, I fully believe that. While you're sitting here, I believe his spirit's saying, hey, you're one of those lost sheep. And Jesus did and will go for broke to bring you home. Won't you stop running and follow him this morning? Jesus obsessively chases after lost ones. In fact, he says, when he gets home, he doesn't scold the sheep. You dumb animal, why would you run from me? What's wrong with you? I ought to let a wolf eat you the next time you do this. That's not what he does. Rather, he calls his friends, rejoice with me. I've got great news. My sheep that was missing, remember the one that I went after? You won't believe this, but I found him. I found Otis. I got him back among the fold. He is safe and sound. You gotta come party with me. The sheep is back. That's how he felt the day he brought you home. Can you picture this Jesus in the glory of heaven just beaming from ear to ear because you finally became his. You finally came home. That's how he felt. He loves the lost. And then it turns back to the Pharisees when Jesus says, in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 people who don't need repentance. The Pharisees thought they were good on their own, which we will address in a few minutes, but Jesus says that heaven goes crazy over the worst sinners coming to repentance, but hardly takes notice of good people thinking they don't need to change. Jesus treasures lost people. He chases after lost people. And we should too. The second of Jesus' three stories in Luke 15 is this. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. He drives home the point again here. Who having 10 silver coins, a drachma, that's what the coin is, a drachma, a day's wage, that's what one silver coin amounts to. So, so 
who having, let's just say, you make $15 an hour, you work eight hours a day, that's $120, and you have 10 of those, $1,200. My math checking out so far, right? Who, who of you having $1,200, if they lose $120, doesn't go crazy turning their house upside down looking for it? Sarah and I recently received in the mail a rebate that was in the form of a $50 Visa gift card. It's exciting. $50 is no small thing, right? Somehow, we lost it. Maybe if you talk to Sarah afterwards, she would say, I lost it. We, we don't have it anymore. Who, who's to say, really, right? <laughs> who's to say, right? Um, I have the microphone, you know. <laughs> and we lost our minds looking for it, wondering where it went. So I can imagine this. $120 is a lot of money. And so Jesus says any sane person loses $120, they would turn their house upside down trying to find it. And when they find it, they're not angry, not upset. They don't blame it for being lost. They are thrilled. I would be thrilled if I found that $50. I've got to call somebody. Rob, remember the $120 I lost? I found it. Rob would tell me to go buy a hat with it, which is great advice, by the way. They rejoice. Jesus sees lost people as people he desperately desires to have back. People he wants in his kingdom. People he wants eternity with. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's not just something that Jesus writes about in his diary at the end of the night, like Joey came from death to life. No, I think that heaven erupts when someone goes from death to life. Imagine the craziest stadium in sports going nuts over a game winner. I imagine the noise in heaven is something akin to that. Conversion isn't someone changing their opinion. They are going from dead to alive, lost to found. We have to understand that if we'll ever have a chance of having the courage to share the gospel. And then the last story Jesus tells is the longest, and it's maybe the best story that Jesus tells in all the gospels. And the longest sermon that I've ever preached is on this passage, so it's killing me to just make only a few brief observations, but I I, I will do just that. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate on foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, And went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around him, around his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. How good is that story? Or if you got a little older brother in you, how terrible is that story, right? We, we could do a whole series on it easily. You would never exhaust the implications of it, the nuance of it. But just a few things this morning. The CSB either gets it wrong or gets it right in titling the story, The Parable of the Lost Son. Either they refer to the wayward son as the lost son and they're missing something or they're titling it with hindsight at the end of the story and they're referring to the older brother as the lost son because we know the younger was already found. But let me tell you, this is the parable of two lost sons. There are two sons who are lost in this story. The one, the one we see asked for his inheritance and in doing so basically implies to his father, I wish you were dead. His father kindly gives it to him and he bails. He lives wildly and extravagantly, blows the money and then finds himself in squalor. And he sees these pigs that he's caring for and they're eating slop and his mouth begins to water because he is so hungry. And he realizes my father's hired hands, they have plenty to eat. So he rehearses the speech. Father, I am not worthy because he isn't dumb. He knows his dad is going to rub this in his face. Oh, you wanted your inheritance. You wished me for dead and now you come running home. And so he's going to say, okay, listen, before you say anything, you're right. I'm an idiot. And don't worry about treating me as a son anymore. Just, just would you treat me as a hired hand? Surely his dad, he thinks, you know, still his dad, still has a heart beating in his chest that won't let him deny that request. But what he meets is not an angry dad. While he was a long way off, it says. While he was a long way off. You see, this dad, maybe, would stand and stare off in the direction that his son had left, wondering, will he ever come back home? I just want him to come back home. And so while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And his father ran. He didn't stand there with his arms crossed like, well, 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 look what the cat dragged in. He ran, and men, grown men, did not run in this society. It was undignified for them to do so. And he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. Full welcome, no questions asked. But the son, like us, knows this is too good to be true. And so he starts his spiel, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy, and the the father hardly hears him. Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, then bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a great party because the son of mine was dead and is alive, was lost, but is found. And they they begin to celebrate. With reckless abandon, the father pulls pulls out all the stops to celebrate the lost being found. He spares no expense. He asks no questions. They don't like have a sit down talk first to determine how sincere the son is, if he's really sorry, whether he's gonna do this again or not. None of that. They just party because he's back. He's home, he's safe, he's loved, he's alive. He is found. And the older brother, he doesn't celebrate. His father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I've done so much for you. I've never disobeyed you. You don't even give me a goat to have a small meal with my friends. But this son of yours, he doesn't even say brother, right? If you have siblings, you've probably said this at some point, the son of yours over here, he's devoured your assets with prostitutes. No one else like says the gory details of that, but this brother does, right? And you slaughter the fattened calf for him. And the dad says, you're always with me. What more do you want? You already have me. And everything here is yours. Literally, your brother already got his stuff. So I'm kind of digging out of your stuff to give to him because the rest of it's yours. He only has two sons, right? Everything I have is yours. But don't you understand the reality? Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but he's found. We had to celebrate. The father doesn't love this son less. No, they're both invited to the party, but we're left with a cliffhanger ending. Will the older brother go in? That's the question we're left with. There are two ways to be equally lost. One is the path of self-discovery and wild living, marching to the beat of your own drum, making your own rules, questioning all authority. The other is to try really hard to walk the straight and narrow, behave yourself as best as you possibly can, live as good and clean as you can while white-knuckling it the whole way. One is not superior to the other. In fact, one might be harder to to decipher as lost and thus harder to turn from. Both are ways to be lost because one thinks they don't need the father because they're good on their own. The other thinks they don't need the father because they're following their own path, their own truth, and they don't need his. Both are lost. Both need Jesus. Both are people Jesus loves and pursues. Both people need to hear the good news about the grace and freedom that Jesus brings. I'd love to keep going on that. But, but why should we share the gospel? Because people are lost. Because Jesus cares deeply about lost people. He pursues lost people. He rejoices when lost people are found. And third of all, because Jesus has commanded and invited people to join him in his rescue mission. We get to help lead people home. The Gospel of Matthew ends with these words. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the last thing we have Jesus recorded as saying in Matthew. I have all authority on heaven and earth, so listen to me. How's that for a reason to share the gospel, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and here's what I want you to do. Go out into this world that you inhabit, all over it, and make disciples. It doesn't say evangelize, per se, but you cannot make an, a disciple without them knowing the good news. They cannot follow a Jesus that they, that they don't know, and they cannot know him without knowing what he did. Discipleship doesn't end with evangelism, but it certainly starts there. So go out all over this world and make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to follow everything that I've commanded. And because it's scary, and because it's hard, and because it's frustrating, and because you'll be rejected and mocked and excluded, please know I am with you always. In all those hard moments, when you put yourself out there to share the gospel, I am with you. In fact, I'm always gonna be with you until the end of the age even. Never am I going to leave or forsake you. You can trust that I will go with you. Jesus gave us great news to share. He's commissioned us as witnesses to share it. You sitting here, if you're his, you have your own story with Jesus, how you encountered him, how he saved you, what he saved you out of. And now it's your turn to share your story and how it intersects with his story. Jesus didn't say, if you get around to it or if you wouldn't mind, he just said, go, do it. Later, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And I think that is the charge for all Christians. Do the work of an evangelist. I hope new people are, are constantly coming in here to this place, to this church, and they're pointing out people when they come in. Yeah, I heard about Jesus from Keith, or Kara invited me, or I met Courtney in line at Target, and she was telling me about this church, and I just had to come. See, here's the thing. I want you to get comfortable sharing the gospel. I want you to spread the news of Jesus and what he's done for us. But if you're sitting here this morning and you feel a tightness in your chest because that feels so unfathomable, unfathomable for you, could you take a baby step? Could you invite someone to church? Could you have one conversation about your faith or church this week? What steps could you take to, to move in the direction of being able to share the gospel? Would you come with me to my church on Sunday? That's not sharing the gospel per se, but it's a good impulse. It's bringing somebody to a place where the gospel is shared. Could, could you get yourself even to do that? God is calling you to do something. We have to. People are lost just like we were. And Jesus desperately wants to bring lost people home, and he's going to use his church to do that. Michelle, you can come up. So this morning, as you hear this message, you hopefully are thinking one of three things. Either you are thinking, I need to keep sharing the good news, or I need to start sharing this good news, or I I'm a lost person that Jesus is constantly pursuing. This Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed took the bread 
And after he gave thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he he took the cup again, giving thanks. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Communion is a reminder of a Jesus who leaves the 99 to find the one. Who turns the house over, flips it upside down to find a single coin. Of a father who comes sprinting across a field to embrace wayward sinners who deserve nothing. If you are his this morning, you've been reconciled with God. You have no idea the celebration you're coming home caused in heaven. If you are still lost this morning, this Jesus that I've been talking about today, he's been pursuing you your whole life. And this morning, perhaps you've come face to face with him. Maybe you say, I get it, Jesus. I'm lost without you. I want to be found in you. If that's you this morning, communion is a great first step towards him to say, I'm a sinner and I know Jesus died on the cross for me and I want to be his so badly. So I'm gonna take the bread and the cup and I'm going to ask Jesus to wash away my sins and make me his own. He wants to do that this morning. And if that's already happened to you, if that's already happened in you, maybe you're just recognizing the call to share the good news. Maybe just sit. And say, what's the first step that I can take this week to sharing my faith? Maybe just mentioning church. Not even Jesus. Just mentioning church in the break room at work as you have lunch. Maybe that would be a huge first step for you. Maybe inviting someone here on a Sunday or to your small group or to your Bible study. Maybe just praying and asking God for courage. Whatever it is. Let's, let's make space here this morning to ask God what he would have you do next. And then when you're ready, you can stand and and take communion. We take communion here by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and just remembering what Jesus did for us. If you need prayer, my friends Randy and Rachel will be available on either side of the room to pray for you. And especially if there's someone God specifically is asking you to share the gospel with and you need courage, they can pray for you. They can pray for you for that. They can pray for that person. Whatever you need prayer for, they'd be happy to come alongside you in that. And so I'm going to pray. And then I'm just going to dismiss you to take some time with the Lord this morning. And then when you're ready to take communion. Father, um, I just lift up our world, a world in need of good news, a world full of lost people. We know it because we were lost people that you came and found that you used someone else to, to share the good news with us. I pray that you would just call that to mind this morning as we sit here. Who was it that boldly shared the good news when we heard it fresh for the first time and, and came home to you? God, would you give us courage, wisdom, and urgency, and, and a passion for seeing lost people be found, dead people come alive, and and a conviction that that only happens in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. 
Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.